The Accidental Entrepreneur is brought to you with the help of our sponsor, A. Weber, the world's leading small business email marketing and automation service provider. Since 1998, A. Weber has helped more than 1 million small businesses and entrepreneurs through its suite of web-based email marketing, automation tools, and education. A. Weber, the best option when it comes to marketing your business. The podcast is also brought to you by the Alternative Board. Since 1989, the Alternative Board, or TAB, has been one of the leading peer advisory and business coaching organizations for independent business owners and CEOs across the world. By facilitating peer advisory boards, private one-on-one coaching, and strategic planning services, TAB helps business owners improve their businesses in ways that change their lives. And be sure to check out our affiliate sponsor, One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the avid podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. That was just in our area. And it was super cool what we were doing. I loved that business model. And since then, there have been other people uh, that have created that business model. But the super cool real estate agent to retail seller model that we had was a seller. Let's say you and your family wanted to sell your house. You would come to our platform and you would post your property. And then real estate agents would bid like an eBay auction for the ability to list your house. And they would bid with their commission. Yeah, okay. And cash and cash. Oh, yeah. So you would get, yeah, you would get cash up front to sign a listing agreement with this real estate agent. And obviously, there's implications of signing a listing agreement. So you had to be serious about selling your house. Um, it didn't really work out for us, but I loved the business model. And maybe one day we'll go back to it. But there are other people that are doing it now. Okay. So, yeah, I was going to say you're talking in the past tense. So you did that, what, through the pandemic? And then, yep. Yep. Did that through the pandemic. It allowed us to raise our first tranche of money. Um, Our investors really loved that idea as well. It just, you know, to be honest, Mitch, it just didn't work out. We we helped 77 homeowners. And for us to be a high growth, uh, hyper growth tech startup, it needs to be 777 houses. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what what was the problem? Why didn't it just too hard to gain traction or? I think the problem was that in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where we started that iteration of the business, it's a tight-knit small town in a big city where there are really, really good real estate agents that everybody knows and everybody uses them. So everybody had a good real estate agent to have the agents bid for them because they knew three real estate agents that had just sold 20 houses in their neighborhood. So it didn't work out because I think that real estate agents were doing a really good job for their clients and we just couldn't provide enough value, which is fine. The information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions. The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work, and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, 
not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur, my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. Hey, my name is Paul Wakeham. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Town Square. Town Square is an off-market property marketplace for professional active real estate investors to sell their properties to their buyers, buyers outside of their network, and connect with other professional active real estate investors. I'm super excited to be on the show today. Okay. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Good to have everybody with us today. If you're listening on your favorite directory and you can leave a review, please leave us a five-star review so we can keep bringing you the valuable conversations as well as the conversation that I'm going to have today with my new friend, Paul Wakeham. And uh, he was correcting me on his last name, so we'll get to him in a minute. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to hit the subscribe button and the like button so we can keep uh, getting seen and heard and, and all that good stuff. So Paul Wakeham, thanks for coming. I think it was um, Mike introduced us, right? That's right. Yeah, Mike right. Simmons. He's been an advisor and great friend of our company. So yeah, he introduced us, Mitch. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I, I guess he's already roped you into getting on his podcast, right? Oh yeah, I've been there yeah. twice. I think I there might be go. going on in the next couple of months. You're going to be a guest host soon. <laughs> but yeah, well, let's hope yeah. so. That'd be fun, yeah. wouldn't it? With the Jay Leno of Real Estate Podcast. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so... I told you before, let's go back to, you know, your background and your, cause you had told me that off mic too, about yep. where, you know, your, your, uh, work history, you know, that type of stuff and how you got into real estate and then how you built the platform that you have now, cause you're in real estate, but your, your company is really a technology company. So maybe we want to go backwards a little bit and then we'll go forward. Yeah, for sure. So um, town square as it exists today. And I say that because like many other tech startups, we've gone through I would say on a on a broad level, we've gone through three different iterations, three different pivots. But yeah, if you if you really drill down to it, we've pivoted probably thirty times in the last three years. Sure. Um, but and some of those pivots have been for all of thirty seconds. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Town Square as it exists today, and the business model that we are having a lot of success with and are really excited about is a marketplace for off market properties. Those are real estate properties that don't really touch the real estate agent, real estate broker world because the individuals who have those properties to sell are experienced enough or have the people in their corner that are experienced enough to sell those properties. So we help real estate investors sell their properties and we help buyers find high quality properties um, in the real estate investment world. Um, I got my start out of college as a real estate photographer. Um, my real estate roots are much deeper than that. My grandparents were high-powered real estate agents and real oh, estate okay. builders. Um, so it's really in yeah. your blood. I'd say so. Yeah. Whenever I was growing up uh, in like middle school, it really hit me that um, my, my grandparents were doing well because of real estate. They were in the Palm Beach, Florida market where there's today, like $100 million houses. Um, My grandfather would build those houses at the time. They weren't hundreds of millions of dollars, but he would build those houses. And then my grandmother would sell them as a real estate agent. So yeah, definitely in my blood. They were speculating. They were building them ahead of time and then selling them. Yeah. Or uh, renovating them. Like I'll never forget my 
one of my grandfather's biggest projects was he renovated a house that recently sold for $84 million. But that really? was like back in back in like right, the 70s, like he renovated it. Probably. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. hands a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah. But everything was relative, right? Because the cost of living was lower. Things were less expensive. Yeah. 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 So yeah, real estate's in my blood for sure. And real estate technology is a new thing over the last three years, but I'm, I'm excited that I'm in this space for sure. Right. But you, you also manage your own real estate. Like you have a portfolio of properties that you bought and managed too. I did. I did. But my wife and I sold all of those properties oh, off. Um, okay. We we no longer hold any of the real estate because we're just, we've just been too busy with our own businesses. Whenever I graduated from college, we started a, my wife and I, girlfriend at the time, started what has become a very successful, very large real estate photography company um, that led us to buy properties and really sink our teeth into the world of professional real estate. My wife now runs that company and it keeps her very busy. Town Square keeps me very busy. And being landlords right now just isn't in the yeah. cards. Well, then you're not competing with your own marketplace, right? Because somebody <laughs> would think if you had a marketplace, you were in the business, you're going to take the best properties that come through there, right? Yes. Yes. That is the that is potentially a concern, no doubt about it. Right. So so I, it's a little bit off the topic, but the, the photography business, you're taking photographs for brokers, for sellers, for... Is that what you're doing? Yeah. You're servicing that industry? For for both, um, mainly people that have their market or their house for sale on the market. So our clients, the people that call the phones and schedule mm-hmm. the appointments at the photography yeah. business are primarily real estate agents. We work with around 2,500 to 3,000 real estate agents in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania market. Got it. Got it. So they, they're put they're listing a property. They need photographs taken. They call you guys. To do exactly. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. So you don't do that. So we'll... we'll... Maybe we'll have your wife on in a separate show. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that she'd love to be on. <laughs> right, of course. All right, so so take me through, you know, what what what's the whole process? Because basically, you know, writing a business plan, getting space, building a business, it's kind of the same thing. You're building technology out. What started you down that road where you said, hey, I think we could do this better. We just saw the need. Tell me about that story. Yeah. So we can talk a little bit more about the real estate photography business because it definitely ties into all of this. Okay, great. Super. Um, Yeah. I was the only photographer for the first two and a half years, two years or so um, before we hired our first photographer employee. And I was talking with all of our high-level real estate agent clients, all of our high-level real estate investor clients. And it dawned on me, hey, there's no real estate without a seller. Like, duh. But it dawned on me. But I also knew at the time exactly why all these different homeowners were selling their homes because I was taking photos of their home and, you know, sitting down and having coffee with them, or they'd offer me a cookie or something like that to just, you know, chat with them. And I'd, you know, why are you selling your house? Yeah. And everybody, for the most part, had the same four to six reasons that they were selling their house. So, It dawned on me, there's no real estate without a seller. I know why all these people are selling their house. I know that all of this data exists in the real estate world. Primarily, it's controlled by the National Association of Realtors, but the data is out there. Yeah. So in um, the middle of 2018, I took it upon myself to learn how to code. Um, I taught myself Uh, Python. Got it. Yeah, Python's big now. My son does Python. Yeah. If anybody's interested in learning how to code, uh, Python's a great place to start. Um, 
but yeah, uh, taught myself how to code so that I could build a very, very, very rudimentary algorithm to predict who was going to sell their house next. And I, yeah, I, I ended up doing it. Um, it was, uh, a piece of crap. <laughs> it okay. worked a little bit though. Yeah. Um, but it was nowhere near what, uh, my business partner who I connected with because of that algorithm, uh, nowhere near what he and I would go on to create. So yeah, started out in real estate photography, realized that I could probably use some of this data to predict who was going to sell their house so that I could buy more properties and my agent clients or my homeowner clients could find more properties. And yeah, that's really the the way that I got my teeth sunken into the the real estate technology world was teaching myself how to code. Yeah, so so I don't you know explain the whole algorithm, but there must have been some key factors, right, that would lead the computer at that time, right, to come to the conclusion that this person is more likely to sell than not to want to get out of their home. So, what were some of the key the key factors that figured into this? Because you were must have been loading in data. You didn't put houses for sale. You were looking for houses that were yep. going to be for sale, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. So believe it or not, the the key factor in any machine learning or artificial intelligence or really big data. I know, you know, yeah. people know that that term of big data and how does big data help your business? Right. The There's key a lot of factor. Data. That's right. Right. That's right. And in anybody's business, like if anybody yeah. is listening to the show here and like they're getting pitched by a data broker or they're talking to somebody who can improve their business with data, the biggest factor in any business data or in any business built on top of data, like the original version of Town Square was that prediction algorithm, the biggest factor is the structure of that data. So okay. I got super, super, super lucky that. I was in Allegheny County in, or I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in okay. Allegheny County and right down the road from where I was living at the time was Carnegie Mellon university. Ah, and okay. yeah. Right. Which is probably one of the best big data schools on the face of the earth. Right. Uh, the top or that, well, engineering schools around. Yeah. That's right. Engineering. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So they did a project. The computer science school did a project with the Allegheny County tax assessment office where all of the real estate data and tax data and liens and deeds and all of that data is stored. Yeah. And the project they did with Allegheny County tax assessment office was to structure and label that data such that it was easily searchable and easily applicable to programs, programs like the one that I was trying to build. Right. So the key factors in who's going to sell are obvious things like death, divorce, job change, okay. uh, debt, you know, those kind of things. But in order to actually predict who's going to sell next and form all that data together, the biggest factor was that I had an army of Carnegie Mellon right. <laughs> undergrads Student, structuring the data. Right. Yeah. yeah well, I yeah. mean, I, and I've learned this because my son is an informatics major and he works for an AI company in uh, nice. Indianapolis. You know, the larger the, the, you could have all the data in the world. If it's not mineable, if it's not in a format where you can pull that data out, you really can't predict anything. But that makes sense. You know, people have, have deaths in the family, get divorced, things like that, that tend to displace people. Then, you know, it's not obviously it's never 100 percent anyway, but you know that if, you know, somebody's of such an age, you know, and their spouse passes away and they're 85, they're more likely to go to a retirement community or, or something like that. Right. 
Yep. Yep. Exactly. I liken the the structuring of the data and the reading of the data to uh, this is a little bit nerdy, but whatever. <laughs> um, if you if you download a CSV file, a comma yeah. separated values file, and you yep. just like open that up in your text editor, what you see is like Paul comma Wakeham comma CEO comma Town Square, and it's like. Right. If you have a million rows of that data, you have no way of processing it. Like it doesn't make no. any sense. It has to be put into Excel structured for it to be usable by a human brain. Same thing kind of for uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, any of those things. You have to like take the data that you have and structure it so that the machine can learn from it. So. Right. Yeah, we we had to we had a very big leg up that we had the greatest uh computer scientists in the world structuring our local data. <laughs> right. Well, look, everything is kind of circumstance, right? I, I I had read that when Bill Gates was a kid in I think it was Washington State, the yeah. local, maybe it was HP or one of the big companies wanted these kids to learn how to do things. They wanted them to, you know, break things and, and they would give them a certain amount of computer time and they would go. I think they figured some way to get more computer time too, but they would get on these computers and program and learn all the time. So they did, they had a, they had a leg up. They, they learned knowledge. They were an outlier, whatever they call it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. it's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, so when, but you busted, you did it, you said for your own benefit to start, right? I mean, you were looking for properties and you said, well, I want to get these properties first before other people. Yep. Yeah. So the two really unique properties came out of that initial algorithm that I built or the initial data processing that I did in Python. One property, it took me two and a half years. We may have talked about this, uh, but Maybe it's just mic, super yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, one property, it took me two and a half years to buy, but at the end of two and a half years, I bought it for $1. I paid about $18,000 in attorney's fees to go through a certain process in the probate world called the conservatorship. But I ended up purchasing a uh, the property for $1 plus $18,000 of okay. uh, attorney's cheap. fees. Yeah. Yeah. But then I turned around and sold it to my landlord who was renting uh, a house to me at the time for $86,000, um, which then set my wife and I on the course to buy another property about a quarter mile, half mile away from that, that we ended up purchasing because I put a sticky note on the front door of the house and said, I want to buy this house. Please call me. The guy who owned that house just so happened to be in town for two days from Qatar. He had not been in the States, okay. <laughs> had not been in the States for like four years before that. He was in Qatar to check on that or in the US from Qatar to check on that house, saw the sticky note, called me. And then through the next six months, we initiated a real estate transaction all through WhatsApp and the U.S. Embassy in Qatar. But because I didn't come went back. over, that's right. right. Yep, that's right. So all of that, that house that I put the sticky note on the front door, the house that I bought for a dollar, those were both predictions that uh, the algorithm originally predicted. And it so really did, helped so us start our career. With the Qatar, the guy from Qatar who obviously owned the house or something, what did it identify that made you then go in a knock on the door. Yeah, because he was in Qatar and he's actually a CMU uh, Carnegie Mellon University professor, he wasn't really too concerned about the house. So he had, I think, some mortgage debt against the house that wasn't being paid or the account was messed Got up. It. So the and bank taxes, wasn't getting paid. Right. Yeah. 
That's right. So it was one of those flags that came up that was very clear because of the CMU undergrads that said, hey, this is the house that's going to sell. And it was it sold because of that sticky note in the algorithm. Well, it makes sense. I mean, if somebody's that, you know, got a bunch of tax sales certificates out there because they haven't paid the property taxes, something's yep. going on and they want to get out from under it. So you, you guys approached and said, I'll pay it off and give me the house and yep. get advantage. A lot of people don't yeah. think that way though. Yeah, definitely took some serious action. And it was it was very interesting to coordinate at like 3 a.m. him going to the U.S. Embassy in Qatar to use the U.S. Uh, approved notary to sign the document so that I could send them to my title company here in the U.S. It was wild, but it was fun. Yeah, I mean, if you hadn't met him in person, you'd probably think it was fake. You wouldn't even know. Oh, I never met him in person. Oh, I never, never met him in person. He just, just a phone you? call. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but you at yeah. least know he was there and he saw your sticker. It wasn't like he's some guy from Nigeria and he tells you, <laughs> you know, got $30 million in the bank, but he can't get access to it. That's and right. That's right. Yeah. So you used it then to build your real estate business over time, yep. right? Exactly. Exactly. And how big so, did that get? Uh, so we did about 35 transactions oh, okay. and that's a combination of my my wife and I, our real estate portfolio, our real estate investments combined with my business partner, Mitch, our CTO, the improved algorithm that he built, and then the businesses that we built from there. So all told a little over 30 transactions. And and then it's been all tech, no transactions for ourselves. Right. You offloaded the stuff. So Mitch, I like his name already. He uh, yeah. he helped you rebuild the algorithm to improve the, the software, the platform. Yeah. So at the time that I met Mitch, I was very very, very into rock climbing. And I met him okay. at our local rock climbing wall, um, told him about real estate, told him about this quote unquote algorithm that I was building. And he said, dude, that's not an algorithm. I'm going to show you a real <laughs> algorithm. Long story short, he quit his job. And because the data was so well structured and because Mitch is a genius, we got that algorithm to be 95% accurate in predicting really? who was going to sell their house next. But then COVID hit. <laughs> yeah, and it blew the whole thing out of the water. But if you have, but the problem is you had no data after that. That was the problem, right? We had data that was pointing in the complete wrong direction. Everybody was selling their house as soon right. as COVID, the restrictions lifted in Pennsylvania. Yeah, people were like, I'm getting out of here. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. no, I, I understand. So, so how did you go about, you know, building the business? Like, like if you're building an algorithm, right? I think I told, I think I asked you this when we were off mic and, and I assume it's a web platform now, right? It's online. So you turn it on and you just sit there and you're like, is anybody going to sign up or people are going to use this? So <laughs> right. And you can't just do that nowadays. Maybe in the Facebook days, it was different. There wasn't anybody on, it was a different yeah. world, but now there's a lot of competition. So how do you go about saying, okay, we built something really great. Where do we get an audience and how do we get in this front of people? What's, what's the business plan? Yeah. So the business plan when the algorithm was a thing was let's just use it for ourselves. Whenever Even that with blew Mitch? up. Yeah. Yeah. Let's oh, just okay. use it for our own investments. Okay. Um, and whenever that blew up because of COVID, we, since I would say June of 2020, uh -huh. the algorithm has been off. We haven't touched it because there was just the data was not structured anymore. The data was not clear enough for us to run algorithms on. So in mid early to mid June of 2020, we totally flipped and went pure tech startup. We created a marketplace to help 
retail sellers that we thought were going to sell because of what we learned from our time building the algorithm help retail sellers connect with retail agents. It's the clients of our photography business. We wanted to bring those people together. And the business plan there was, let's try to leverage the real estate agent connections that I have and the connections that we can form with the data experience we have to find motivated sellers and bring them together on the first iteration of Town Square. So it was really a platform for brokers to find properties that they could represent. Yeah. After the algorithm. Got it. Okay. All right. Yep. So, and was that just in your area or you do this yep. nationwide then? That was just in our area. And it was super cool what we were doing. I loved that business model. And since then, there have been other people uh, that have created that business model. But the super cool real estate agent to retail seller yep. model that we had was a seller. Let's say you and your family wanted to sell your house. You would come to our platform and you would post your property. And then real estate agents would bid like an eBay auction for the ability to list your house. And they would bid with their commission and cash and cash. Oh yeah. So you would get, yeah, you would get cash up front to sign a listing agreement with this real estate agent. And obviously there's implications of signing a listing agreement. So you had to be serious about selling your house. Um, it didn't really work out for us, but I loved the business model and maybe one day we'll go back to it. But there are other people that are doing it now. Okay. So, yeah, I was going to say you're talking in the past tense. So you did that, what, through the pandemic? And then... Yep. Yep. Okay. Did that through the pandemic. It allowed us to raise our first tranche of money. Um, our investors really loved that idea as well. It just, you know, to be honest, Mitch, it just didn't work out. We we helped okay. 77 homeowners and for us to be a high growth, uh, hyper growth tech startup, it needs to be 777 right, houses. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what, yeah. what was the problem? Why didn't it just too hard to gain traction or? I think the problem was that in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where we started that iteration of the business, it's a tight knit small town in a big city where there are really, really good real estate agents that everybody knows and everybody uses them. So everybody had a good real estate agent to have the agents bid for them because they knew three real estate agents that had just sold 20 houses in their neighborhood. So it didn't work out because I think that real estate agents were doing a really good job for their clients and we just couldn't provide enough value, which is fine. Yeah. No, no, no. Look, realtors are good at marketing and they're good at all that stuff. So they build that. And a lot of it is hyper local. Um, okay. Yep. So then, so then where'd you go from there? So from You're there, still we in took business, a, so we know that. Thing. Yeah, that's right. right. That's right. We're still, we're still kicking. We're still kicking. Yeah. Um, from there, we took the marketplace. We said, Hey, this on market real estate agent model isn't working. And this was um, when? Well, about a year ago, uh, okay. late 2021. Okay. Yep. Just coming out of the pandemic. That's bit. right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So we said we have this really cool, nicely formatted marketplace that right. Mitch had built after building the algorithm. Mitch built this really nice marketplace. <clears throat> and we said, okay, let's take this marketplace and go back to our roots. So let's go back to real estate investing. So since November, really Halloween of 2021, we've been operating a marketplace in the real estate investor world. And we've had anywhere between uh, 100 properties and 2,100 properties posted to the marketplace every month since then. Okay. So explain the 
for the platform? What does it do for me if I'm an investor or looking yeah. to be an investor? Yep. So you mentioned Mike whenever we first got on the call. Yeah. Mike, <laughs> Mike got involved. Yeah, exactly. Okay. He is. Um, Mike got involved with us because in the world of real estate investors, all the real estate investors have their properties that they want to sell. Plus, they have buyers or a network that they know will buy their property. Essentially, it's a tight-knit group of real estate investors who buy and sell and trade properties with one another all the time. Okay. But, I know that. Okay. Yeah. So they operate in like hyper, you use the word hyper-local. They operate in hyper-local spheres of Paul has a great buyer. His name is John. Mitch has a great buyer. His name is Jim. I don't really have access to Jim unless you and I partner, Mitch. So what we do now is we allow both of us to bring our own properties to the marketplace. And right. then you can reach out to me and say, I want to talk to John Smith, Paul. I'll sell my property to John Smith and we can split the profit in some certain way. And I say, Mitch, I want to talk to your buyer. Let's call him Kevin. And you say, okay, we'll split the profit 10, 10%, 90% if my buyer buys the property. So we're helping investors not only sell their properties to their own buyers, their own network, but also sell to each other's networks and connect in joint venture agreements. So they're almost acting like brokers, right? Yes, in some ways, yes. Right, but they're not licensed. That's right, that's right. And they, and yeah. they don't have to be? No, they don't have to be because it's usually just like, let's introduce each other. Let's form this joint venture agreement where we work together as a partnership to sell this property. It's not, you're not representing anybody uh, in these type of transactions. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. So, uh, and does that vary by state? Like there's some states you can't do this in or something or not really? Um, it does vary by state. There are some states that are like, hey, everybody has to be licensed. Like our users in Colorado, almost all of them are licensed agents just because it's more protection. But um, in Florida, in Texas, uh, in places like Wyoming and um, Arizona, you don't have to be licensed. You can just form these joint venture agreements and partner essentially on the sale of your property. Got it. All right. That makes sense. So um, tell me about some of the challenges that you had. When we talked about the challenges that you had with the first iteration, or maybe the yeah. second iteration. Both. And, <laughs> yeah. And then what kind of challenges did you face here? Like, how did you, I mean, you? I guess you, did you have a circle of real estate investors that you were akin to? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I knew because I had been in this position, I've done these joint venture deals before where I have gone to a more experienced real estate investor who has really strong connections with his network of buyers. And right. I've said, hey, man, can we partner on this? I'll give you 50% of my profit if one of your buyers that I don't have access to comes right. to the table. So I knew what they wanted, thankfully, and the gamble of Paul knows what they want has paid off, uh, or our team knows what they want has paid right. off. Um, but the challenges really have been towards quality. Here's a word from our sponsors. Looking to market and grow your business? Or perhaps you're just getting started and want to hit the ground running. AWeber is the best choice for online email marketing and automation of your business. From maintaining a subscriber list to drip campaigns and landing pages, AWeber gives you tools and integrations that make marketing easy and fun. 
As our partner and sponsor, we use all their tools to promote the podcast and market our law firm. AWeber, the best alternative for online marketing. For over 30 years, the Alternative Board, or TAB, has built a thriving community of forward-thinking CEOs and business owners who want to radically improve their companies. Through unique combinations of one-on-one business coaching, participation in monthly TAB board meetings with other non-competing owners, a suite of strategic tools, and customized strategic planning workshops, TAB membership can deliver greater strength to your business and a better work-life balance for you and your family. All packaged in a streamlined and affordable service that the people at TAB invite you to try risk-free. Maybe you're looking to get into podcasting or you just want to market your business. Maybe you want to do it for enjoyment or because you have a message you want to get out there. One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full-service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts, as well as video shorts for business and personal use. Professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets. And be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit created especially for our listeners. Follow the link in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. You know, I mentioned that we had 100 to 2,100 properties on the platform at one time. And it's a problem that I'm really adamant about solving for the real estate investing community is how do you know, Mitch, if you're not a real estate investor, but you're like, I want to buy an Airbnb in Mesa, Arizona. Yeah. You have no idea that the off-market property world really even exists, let alone how do you have any idea if there's enough information to go get a loan on this property or if it's actually even a good deal or all that information that you would go to a real estate agent for. Typically with on-market properties, I'm trying to mirror that with Town Square and the that's one of the problems that we're facing is and we're yeah. trying to solve is getting high-quality properties. So in that example where I bring a property and I try to sell it to your buyer, or you bring a property, you try to sell it to my buyer. I want both of us in those hypothetical situations to be able to say, yes, Paul, this is a good property. I will sell it to my buyer or no, Paul, this is a terrible deal. It's never going to work out. I never want you to talk to me ever again. Um, And it all comes back to quality. Yeah, for sure. It happens all the time. Uh, Because people have junk and they're trying to get rid of it. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't buy a house for $100,000 that has a giant hole through the roof unless it was in Beverly Hills. <laughs> That's true. Right. Exactly. Or you knew there was gold underneath the house or oil. Or exactly. Right. Yeah. But that, I think that's what people think about. And it sounds like that's the problem you're trying to solve, right? A little bit. That yep. uh, people think that, you know, well, I can't you know, make money in real estate because that's guys who they have connections and they know things and they they're getting deals in a back alley somewhere and people are making deals, but you're trying to bring that to a more organized, right? Formalized marketplace. Standardized. Yes. Okay. So, so the people that are coming there are not, they, they are the property owners. I mean, is, is the platform all these investors that have a portfolio and then they're trading and selling and buying and selling? Yeah. Yeah. Usually it's just anybody who says, I invest in real estate, who wants to sell their property to another user's 
We also have buyers that come and say, I got an email from you that has a link to a town square property. I'm interested in this deal. But usually it's that situation where you are coming to town square because you have a buyer that you know you can sell a property to if you can find that property. And you come looking for me and my property that I've posted. Or I come to town square and I say, I have a property. I don't have a buyer. I want to connect with somebody like Mitch so that I can access his buyer. Right. Because maybe I specialize in, you know, vacation properties and you found a vacation property is a good deal, but you don't exactly. have any way to find somebody to sell except hire a broker and then you got to give up commissions. So, exactly. So you don't pay a commission. You just share in the profits of the sale with the other person who's bringing it to the table and the sellers don't pay a commission. Nope. That's right. Okay. So what's the profit uh, model of Town Square? Yep. So it's pure SaaS software as a service. It's you sign up for access. Yep. You sign up for access to the platform and the tools. So whenever we first started talking, the way that I described our platform is a marketplace with tools built on top to support real estate investors. The marketplace is just a place to hold the properties, But, but the tools that allow me to share my property with you, and then you share that with your buyers, that's a tool that we call post-sharing that's built on top of the platform. We also have email technology where I can bring my group of buyers in a CSV, in a in a file, okay. upload my property, and then email out this really nicely formatted listing page of the property on Town Square to my buyers. And for that, we charge $149 a month. It's just a tool for real estate investors, active real estate and investors. And you can list as many things as you want. That's right. So it's almost like a loop net for real estate investors. I mean, I don't exactly. want to, I don't want to diminish the platform. But. No, no, you're 100% right. It's Zillow for off-market properties, but with tools built on top to support and attract those people that control the off-market properties. So how we'll talk about, and I mentioned this before, we'll talk about some challenges, things you think you did wrong, things you do right and advice you have, yeah. but how do you market the business right now? You, know, yep. you can't all do word of mouth. It's not enough. You said you got, you've raised money, right? You're a true tech startup. Yep. Yep. So there are conglomerations of active tip of the spear, industry-leading real estate investors that are known as masterminds. So we've been fortunate enough to join a bunch of those masterminds and be invited to be a part of those masterminds. And just like most things, the guys that are the leaders in the industry, the tip of the spear, if you will, they really influence what everyone else does in the industry. So by being a part of those masterminds and getting in front of the guys that are selling $4 million worth of property every month off market, you know, we we are able to get in front of and use that credibility to the guys that are selling $400,000 worth of property every month. That combined with working with influencers. In the Um, real estate investing world, there are so many influencers, really, really knowledgeable people that we're partnering with to use their audience and pay them to use their audience so that we can get the word out about Town Square. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize in their industry that there are even what I call micro influencers. Maybe they have 20,000 followers, 50,000, 100. They don't have to be, you know, the Kardashians and you know, something out of Hollywood where you, because those people you don't have access to, it's expensive. And sometimes the return's very low because yep. you're paying, overpaying. So I think I did that with the podcast. I reached out to, you know, I found out who are the top 25 
influencers online for small business enterprises and entrepreneurs. And I found this list and I yep. sent out emails and about 10 of them said, sure, we'll come on the podcast. Nice. And, I, and I've stayed in touch with them. And, you know, and some of them had, you know, like me, a couple thousand followers. Some I had 15, 20, 30,000, 100,000 followers. I, I learned a lot, but I, I think a lot of people don't realize even outside of your business that as an entrepreneur, there are ways to find people who do have influence, who can kind of, you know, play the flute. So, so to speak, yeah. so people will come to, come to your, your door. So that's a good mark. So you're building a network, you're reaching out to influencers. I assume you're also building an email list, right? A marketing list that you stay in touch, post properties, say hey, this is available, join us or whatever. Yep. The, the, uh, the 149 is for listings, right? And that's a flat fee per month. You can put up as many properties as you want. So you can actually put up as many properties as you want for free. If you want okay. to use those tools to connect with other investors and leverage each other's networks of buyers and send out emails from our platform, that's the $149 a month. But we, the value in Town Square is, yeah. is the volume of off-market properties. If we can aggregate- Obviously. right off-market properties on a Zillow. If you had a Zillow and then you had a town square and you could capture 99% of all the real estate transactions with those, then you, there's a lot of value there. Right now, yeah. if you just have Zillow, you capture about 78% of the real estate market because 78% of all transactions happen with a real estate agent on market. The other 22% is or 32% is happening no, on- 22%. Yes, I apologize. Right? Yeah, 22%. Yeah. The other 22% is happening off market. So we never want to restrict anybody for, you know, we don't want to ever make somebody pay to post a property because even if it's a bad deal, we still want to see that this property is for sale because there's a lot of value in that data. Yeah. And, and obviously, if I'm just posting it for free, I'm not being proactive about it. I'm not reaching out to people and say, hey, would you take a look at this? So you just kind of yep. put it up and the eBay model and you're just waiting for somebody to come knock on your door, which is fine, I guess, right? Obviously, the value of the business comes with the amount of listings you have, right? Because if I'm going to go on there, even for free, and I'm one of seven properties, then I'm like, well, this is a waste of my time. I'm not going to give a lot of, a lot of attention. So what kind of things, challenges did you have, mistakes you made that you would, you know, that you have corrected or are doing differently as you got started? Yeah. Yeah. So the the biggest challenge that we have had is we know what our product needs to look like. We released our MVP of our new version of the platform. We, we did a bunch of updates and we released the minimum viable product in July of this year after going through a bunch of different feedback sessions from existing customers from November to April. Uh, November 2021 to April 2022. Then we got it. You know, started developing a new product, a new version of the marketplace that was released in July. The biggest challenge we've had since July is not customer acquisition or getting notoriety in the industry. No. The biggest challenge is finding really high quality employees and developers that we want to work with. Um, developers are they they're hard to find developers yeah, that they, are trustworthy they are hard to rules, find right yeah i told my son you're in the right industry oh he sure is sure yeah. sure is yeah yeah well i i mean look i was talking to a client of my own restaurants and they're still they're all having challenges but you're talking about an industry that needs technical people you can't just go out and i guess 
the, the, the virtual remote nature of the world now makes it easier for you because you can hire a developer from Oregon or Uruguay or whatever that might yeah. be harder to do 10, 15, 20 years ago, you know? Yep. Yep. So, yeah, it's exactly what we're doing. We have yeah. uh, seven developers that we've hired in the last 40 days, 45 days um, That's from, lot. yeah, Pakistan, yeah. India, and the Philippines. None and of them are here. They're, no. 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 Yeah. Do you have any employees here? You must have some employees where you located here, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's myself domestically, Mitch, my business partner who's here in the States. Kevin is our director of sales and Taylor is our sales development rep. And then I actually have five full-time employees in Lahore, Pakistan as well that are just operations employees. So how do you go about setting up an operation in Pakistan? Is there a company obviously there's a manager there right so how does that go about yeah so the whole story there and you can yeah. definitely interrupt me if i ramble too much but um no. we've had That's, so much success story. i like this yeah yeah <laughs> thank you we, we've had so much success with people in pakistan honestly they are some of the hardest working individuals i think i will ever meet uh, for the rest of my life um the way we got started there was i met um a girl her name was sania online mm-hmm. And she started working with me and my photography like, company. What, like Upwork or something like that? or Exactly. Yep. Okay. Started working with her. Uh, and then she worked with me and my photography company and in the real estate investing that I was doing, helping me with just admin tasks. Um, and then she called me one day and said, hey, my family friends and my family, they're also looking for jobs and they're super hardworking like me. So she introduced me to three families in Pakistan that are all willing and able to work <laughs> so, so hard. They are, they are the yeah. hardest workers. Right. Um, and they're so, so underpaid have, relative to here. Yeah, yeah. The minimum wage, I think the last time I looked it up, the minimum wage, which we pay much, much in excess of right. in, in Pakistan is like 77 cents oh my US. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but so, if you're paying them five bucks, which is a third of what you'd have to pay here, you're paying them eight times what what they'd yeah. be making as a as a low wage worker. Yeah, and they're probably very yeah. smart and hardworking, right? Oh yeah, they're yeah. amazing, amazing people. So we have one guy in Pakistan who oversees all of the different people that are working for us in Pakistan. He makes the most. He's the manager. Yeah. Um, he speaks the best English, um, but his brother. His friends, uh, his uh, cousin, his aunt, they all work for us. Uh, and they are outstanding people. Outstanding. I kind of stumbled along, Pakistan. Because you think overseas, you think of India, yep. common, right? Where you're getting a lot of tech people. Did um, did you, uh, what, what, oh no, I was going to ask you, what are they doing? Are they doing development work? I mean, what, what are they doing for so there's actually a development firm that we're talking to that has super, super smart, high-level developers based in Karachi, Pakistan. Oh, okay. um, just by yeah. coincidence? Yeah, 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 just by coincidence. But our guys in Pakistan, they are they're doing just admin work for us, helping us make sure that clients are being reached out to support. Um, Back office, customer yeah. service, that type of stuff. Yep. Got it, got yep. it, got it. So how many... People do you have developers around the world? You have local, you said about five or six people. You got you got Pakistan. How many employees do you have? So we have four domestically, five in Pakistan to make it nine. And then we have six developers. Um, so that's 15. 
And is it difficult to pay? I've, I've never, I, I interview so many of my clients and kind of people on the podcast who have people overseas. My, my friend who does my friend, my client, and he does my websites and all that stuff. Yeah. None of his developers are here. I don't even think any of them are in the United States either. So, yeah. and I, I do handle his business stuff, but I don't handle his payroll. How do you go about, you know, paying them? Cause obviously it's not in dollars and then all the reporting and it's got to be Patriot Act things that you got to adhere to, right? All kinds of that. You're not seriously that you don't have an office yeah. in Pakistan. When you think of Pakistan, you think of that's where we shot Osama bin Laden, right? So, yep. you, right. So you, they don't know that you got this operation. You're just funneling money to support terrorists. <laughs> yeah. So, right. So what, what kind of things you got to, you got to deal with from a business and a tax standpoint? Yeah. So my accountants, uh, admittedly, they handle all of our payroll. And yeah, yeah. I yeah. admittedly, Mitch, I, I don't handle any of yeah, this. So I can't really Paul speak. Is, you get a good, smart tax guy and you're relying on that's them right. to do the whole thing. Right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But if anybody is interested in getting started with uh, overseas virtual assistants or overseas um, talent, start with a place like Upwork or start with yeah. a place like Fiverr because they have all of the legal framework, all of the stuff needed to pay set up. Now, anybody that works outside of Upwork or up, uh, Fiverr for us, we pay them through a service called TransferWise. It's now called just Wise, um, or we pay them through a service called uh, Zoom, X-O-O-M. Zoom is so owned by PayPal. it's almost like PayPal. an international payroll company. Yep, like exactly. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't think about that stuff. A lot of people just pay people and then they go to take the taxes. They can't take deductions. Or... Yep. Yeah. Yep. So um, let's take your your uh, your tech hat, your real estate hat off, your tech hat off, put on your business hat, right? Did you Have you sure. ever written a business plan for the business? You ever had oh, yeah. For, right? Because yeah. you said you raised money and stuff. Yep. Yep. Yeah. The the tech business plan is a deck. So I yeah, have right. slaved a deck, over right. a deck. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because you're making your, you know, it's funny. People say, why do I need a business plan? Well, clearly, if you're raising money, you need a business plan, right? And yeah. because you have to make a presentation, you have to convince these people, why is this a good thing to do? Um, how many rounds have you gone through? I won't ask you how much you raised. Like, right. How good. many rounds have you gone through raising money? You're in a, like a C round, an A round, a B round? So we raised, we've raised two tranches of money under yeah. the same terms. So it's the same round. Um, we raised friends and family money in early 2021. And then we raised yep. a significant amount more from a family office and a couple other business partners of ours uh, in early 2022. And they were both under our pre-seed round and the traditional documents that people use in the world of tech startups so that we can go raise millions, ideally more from venture capital firms and venture capital firms can say, okay, you guys raised with these documents. I don't have to think too much about the legalities. I know what these documents are. Those documents are called a safe, a simple agreement for yep. future equity. Yep. It's like a convertible note without an interest yep. rate. People ask me about it all the time. They're like, do you yep. know what safe agreements are? I'm like, yeah, they're just convertible agreements. Yeah. Yep. And that's what a lot of these guys want. That's what a lot of these... Um, venture capital company firms want the the venture capital firms they come up with their own term sheets 
whenever okay. we go out and we raise from true VCs, they'll come up with their own term sheets. But prior to going to talk to VCs, they want to see that we have a clean cap table. And right. a clean cap table is really like, do your are your documents clean? Is it super confusing to figure out that investor one invested under these terms and investor two invested under slightly yeah. different terms? Yeah, That's not what we do. We just put everything under one safe and they understand what safes are. So Town Square is packaged up real nice to say, we can put up $1.5 million into this and things are going to go great. Right. Well, you know, people don't realize that you got to, even if you want to sell your business someday, you kind of have to take the approach of, of preparing the business, running it away because you're right. Look, you can make deals all the time with people, but if you go to make a deal with someone else and they don't understand what the hell you did and all these promises you make, they're just thinking somebody's going to show up at our door. And said, hey, yeah. what are you talking about? Paul promised me, you know, 50 million shares in the company if I did X, Y, and Z. And now you got and now yep. you got a problem. So you keep it clean. So the only thing that really changes then is valuation. Yes. In terms valuation. Of- yeah, valuation changes. There's also like warrants and drag along rights and voting yeah. rights and board seats and all of that. Of but the the primary lever that everybody pulls is valuation. Right. Well, people don't think about that stuff either. They get involved in private deals. And yep. they could either be left behind or they could block the sale. And you need yep. tag along, drag along rights and stuff that, that I do all the time. But people, they don't think about that stuff. I mean, yep. you probably didn't think about a lot of it until you got involved with the, right, in the tech money raising world, right? I didn't think about any of it, Mitch. Thank God I have our primary advisor is an early stage tech startup consultant who has taken a couple companies public for billions and taken yeah. a couple companies to be acquired for hundreds of millions and billions. And I just go to him and I'm like, listen, I don't know anything about anything. Just tell me what I need to do and I'm going to trust you. And so far right. it's worked out amazingly. And I've learned so much that I yeah, can you now learn about ask questions, reg D filings, all that type of stuff, right? Exactly. Non-accredited investors. Crazy world. It is. It it's is. Lots of legal gymnastics, as I call it. Uh, that's really what it is. I mean, if you, you learn how to go through those hoops, those are the guys that do the deals and the guys that don't, don't yep. do the deals. The cannabis business, same way. I do I work for a couple of cannabis companies and they, you know, the ones that are more sophisticated on the fundraising side and the business yeah. side are the ones that are able to raise the capital because it's the venture capitalists that want, you know, they're really investing in you. So yeah. at the end of the day, they got to have confidence in you and your partner, Mitch, that you guys can pull this off. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I don't care if you have a safe agreement, whatever. It, it, it's like a funny word in the startup business. I mean, how safe is it? If the business uh-huh. goes under, it's not like you have, you know, you have jewels somewhere and you can't convert that to capital. So you're putting it up as, as collateral. It doesn't happen. Yeah. So they're, they're trying to protect themselves from a, you know, being holding equity that's not worth anything versus, you know, being owed money or whatever. But so yeah. what? You know, you can't get blood from a stone. If the business fails and goes under, they're not going to start suing you and go after you. It's going to be a waste of their legal time and fees. And, yep. you know, expertise. Yeah. So. The, uh, the the way that I always explain it whenever anybody asks about the the world of raising money or tech startups is all of the like legal jargon, all the really important documents, the safe, the valuation, all of that stuff. It's like it's the foundation that I and Mitch have to stand on to say, hey, we're good. And so are the legal documents. So you should invest in us. But if an investor looks at us and says, hey, you guys are good, but you have 20 different investors investing at 20 different valuations with 20 different documents, like nobody's going to invest. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So either you're two monkeys in a basement on a Davenport (laughs) or you're really smart, but you don't have your 
I hate to say it, your 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 house in a way. That's the best way. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Look, I get a lot of a lot of people get older with businesses and they're like, you know what? I built this business, I can go sell it. And they don't have the books and the records and it's just a mess. Then you have a business broker trying to put together a picture showing, well, you know, I know he takes no money out of this business, but he really takes a lot. They try and (laughs) make this argument, which is a a tenuous argument that's trying to show that the business is worth, you know, $10 million, even though it's showing no profit because they're imagining it for low taxes, not for the sale of the business. Okay. So you can can chime in if you have, um, you know, Advice for people starting a business, running a business, but also what? Tell me what the future holds. What are what are your plans in terms of where you're growing the business? Because we both know that venture VCs, angels, whatever, they need an exit strategy, so they're not coming in without one. So, what's the future plans with uh, Town Square? Yeah. So, real quick, my my whole spiel. What I like to say, what I really believe in when it comes to people that want to start a business or are getting started mm-hmm. in business okay, is. I've been super fortunate in my life to have everything else around my businesses pretty much in order and making me very comfortable. I have a wife that supports me. My parents have always been super supportive and I'm I'm very, very lucky. There's no other way to put it other than I'm very lucky that I have those things that allow me to work as hard as I possibly can. Right. So anybody who wants to get started, my advice is maybe you have a life that has been like mine. If you don't, try your hardest to get everything else in order before you start a business. You know, if you have issues in other parts of your life, you're not going to be able to work as hard. The coffee isn't going to hit as hard right. in your business if you don't have all of your attention on your business. So yeah, that's you'll have my challenges advice there. anyway. So if you got more challenges personally, look, a lot of businesses fail for that reason. Yep, exactly. Okay. So uh in terms of where we're going with Town Square, yeah. uh my goal is to be I literally imagine somebody having two cell phones or uh, an iPad that has the the screen split down both sides. One side is Zillow with all the on-market properties, with homeowners selling their properties, with real estate agents. And the other side is Town Square, where you can see all of the deals that don't involve real estate agents and that are happening between real estate investors. There are a bunch of companies that are trying to do it. I'm just confident that our ability to build that marketplace, but then have those tools on top that support the real estate investors who control that off-market property world, having those tools will attract them to use our platform and bring that inventory to us. So I think there's a humongous value in there. Um, just and that's, to what give the, you, that's what the VCs are banking on, that you, yeah. that you can build it bigger and better than the other people. And what's the exit strategy for them? I mean, I don't know if you're going to sell or whatever, but is the exit strategy go public, sell, merge, yep. acquire, all yeah. of the above? Something, yeah, all of the above, something to the effect of somebody wants to own that data. You know, digging in a little bit deeper here, somebody who, like one of these giant hedge funds that you heard about during COVID that were buying hundreds of thousands of houses every year to keep them as rental properties. Those companies, I've had discussions with them directly. I've had discussions with the guys that are purchasing 10,000 single family homes every month, or they really? were. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How do you find 10,000? You have an algorithm that goes on to the MLS and makes offers on every single property that remotely matches your uh, your criteria. So I've talked to those Ooh. guys, and yeah. their limiting factor is not cash. Their limiting factor, at least it wasn't whenever interest rates were supply. super low. Yeah. Yeah. Is supply. 
So I think the value for Town Square is going to be when somebody brings their property to Town Square and they're like, I'm going to list this on the marketplace. The second they type in 123 Main Street, Phoenix, Arizona, it's going to hit the algorithm for one of these large buyers. And they're going to come in and say, hey, I'll make you an offer $10,000 over what you just put in there. The ownership of that data, I think, will be extremely valuable. And that's what we're banking on with Town Square uh, holding value in the, the grander scheme of the real estate market is that you would have, by owning Town Square, you would have access to that data on who's selling their house off market first. And what's... Uh... Typical VC, what's their time horizon? They want to be out in five to seven years or 10 years or? So a VC fund is usually five to 10 years, and they hope to exit all of the companies in 10 to 15, sometimes 20 years um, after that. That's a turnover. Yep. Got it. So I think there have been other companies in our space, one uh, in particular that was very much in the data realm, but they were the first company to really service off-market property sellers and off-market property investors. Um, and they sold f- after four years of being in business for $175 million because of the data that they had access to. Uh, and they sold to an incumbent gigantic title company called Stewart Title. So yeah, sure. Maybe one day. A lot of real estate work. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Interesting. Stuart Title is in, I guess it's a different division, but they want the data. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Okay. So tell me how, uh, because we're coming up on time here, how people can, obviously it's townsquare.com, right? They can learn from the website. How can they connect with you? Yep. So it's Town Square without the vowels. So T-W-N-S-Q-R.com. My my friends kind of make fun of me when it... Whenever it comes to how anybody can connect with me, LinkedIn I, profile or not really, or I have a LinkedIn profile. That's it. <laughs> okay, I like LinkedIn. I'm a big LinkedIn person. Yeah, yeah. me I'm too. I, I like LinkedIn. Rock climbing group, right? That's right. That's right. right. So I don't really have Instagram. Town Square. You can connect with us uh, across all the social media platforms. My team and I are on there. If you want to connect with us there, see what's going on. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Uh, we just hired a social media manager that will manage all of our, our social media and bring things uh-huh. to my team and I attention as needed. Um, but LinkedIn, and you can also send me an email at paul at twnsqr.com if you want to ask questions about the real estate investing world or off-market properties or town square in general. All right. I'll put the we'll put the link in the show notes. And uh Paul on a on a you know dreary afternoon, at least in Jersey. Uh, yeah. I thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Mitch. It was an awesome conversation. I really like the digging into the business side more than just talking only about Town Square and what we do. Good. Well let's definitely stay in touch. Awesome. Let's do that. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Accidental Entrepreneur. Opening and closing music written and performed by Howie Moscovich and Made to Order Music. For information about Howie and his music services, please follow the link in our show notes. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and most of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at 
the Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted by Mitch Beinacker and produced by Beinacker Law. If you'd like to learn more about our business and legal services, you can find us on social media or visit our website at BeinackerLaw.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.